say that we can sit down. <laughs> hey, uh, if you've been observing Lent with us this year, if you've given up some things or added on some things, I've got good news for you. Today is a Sunday. Do you know what a Sunday is during the Lent season? What's that? <laughs> free range? I don't know if we can go as far as free range, but it does mean that the things that you gave up, that you gave up, as long as they're not sinful, you're welcome to do again today because Sundays are feast days. They're celebration days. They're days that we go, ooh, we have it good in God's love. And we do, don't we? And in theory, guys, in theory, friends, we should be feeling that way about every Sunday. That Sunday is a day of celebration. That we come together on Sunday morning for church, not because we're expected to, or because somebody will ask us if we're not there where we were, or because we don't know what to do before the football game. Uh, we come to church on Sundays to celebrate how good we have it in God. And we have it so good, don't we? Beyond what we deserve, far beyond what we could even dream of truly. We just have to make sure that the things that we're dreaming of and the things that we're wanting are in line with what God says is best for us. And that's kind of what Lent is about. This whole season leading up to Easter is about reminding ourselves what matters. It's about refocusing and being renewed and being rechallenged by God. It's about embracing what Jesus did, admitting why he had to do it, and then celebrating because he did do it. And to be on that side of the cross where Jesus has already paid the price is something worth celebrating. So we're going to start off this morning by reminding ourselves why Jesus died, why he had to do it. And there's no better way to remind yourself than to go all the way back to the beginning with a familiar scene in the Garden of Eden. If there is a scene, in the, there we go. So Jesus does it, not just to give us a future, but to give us back the future that he intended us for initially. That closeness in the garden where there's no fear, there's no shame. Jesus died because we messed up. We all took a bite of that fruit, whatever it was. And I know I would have. 
So don't tell me you wouldn't have. One rule, only one rule, you're telling me you wouldn't think about that day and night and then finally take a bite of that fruit? I don't believe it. Jesus did it for us to restore and to renew us. And that's what Lent is about. Do you get to that place in life where you you just feel like you're going through motions? Where each day is just a repeat of the day before it? Where you're just living for the weekend maybe, for your day off? Where you're you're looking forward to that, that weekend because on the weekend you don't have to drive the kids to or from school and you don't have 15 different soccer practices to get everybody to and... Well, you might have four or five different upwards games to go to on a Saturday. So maybe you're looking forward to Sunday when there's no games, hopefully. But life gets monotonous sometimes. It gets repetitive. It just gets empty and dry as we just keep living it out. And even the things that we're passionate about, even the things that we're passionate about lose, lose some flavor sometimes. Or it becomes too much of a chore to actually do what we really like. And so we end up kind of sitting and going through the motions in life, wondering why we don't feel like there's more going on. And then you read passages in the Bible like the one we're going to look at now from John 10.10. And we're going to look at it in two different translations here. One more. Keep going. There we go. So we're going to read it in the New Living Translation. Then we're going to read it in the paraphrase from the message because I think something more stands out when we read that. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, Jesus, have come that they may have life and have it to the full. In the paraphrase it says, A thief is only here to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, Jesus, came so that they may have real and eternal life more and better life than they've ever dreamed of. And we read a passage like that and we kind of go back to our normal daily routine and it doesn't always add up. Our day-to-day experience doesn't always add up to that. A more, better life than they always dreamed of. Yeah, really? Even on the day where the dryer breaks down or the pipe cracks and the basement floods or the lawnmower won't start, or a neighbor's fence falls into our yard. That was me this week. Or uh, the dog runs away. Or your son gets in trouble at school. Or you get written up at work. Or you get sick. Ugh. Even on those days, a more better life than they've ever dreamed of, it doesn't add up. And on the normal days, the days where not everything goes bad, but it's just a normal day where we wake up, we go throughout our routine, kind of like Rachel was sharing how many hours we have. I'm really glad she did that lesson with the dollar bills. And we spend all our hours in the normal ways we spend them. We watch the same shows we usually watch. We spend time on Facebook. We spend time in our email. We spend time outside. We spend time at work. Rinse and repeat. Day after day. To be renewed means to be re-energized. It means to be brought back to life. Refreshed. I am so looking forward to this afternoon when my wife and I are taking our boys to a favorite coffee shop of mine where I get to drink the first coffee that I've had in over a week. And that sounds like nothing, I know. But my first coffee in over a week... And she'll have her first tea in over a week. 
And our boys will have, I don't know, some sugary sweet concoction. And we'll be able to talk about the reason that we get to do that today is because we're celebrating the newness of life that Jesus brings back to us over and over again. And that's the celebration of each Sunday as we look forward to Easter with the ultimate celebration of life reborn where God proves to us and to everybody else that He has the power over death and sin and even us. And that's huge. Renewal for a Christian is about making an exchange. That's what it says up here. And let me, let me tell you what I mean by that. To be renewed as a Christian means we have to exchange things. We have to give up an old heart again and take on a new heart again. We have to give up an old life or old lifestyle again and take on a new life or a new lifestyle. And a lot of us have done this at the point of salvation where we finally gave up our, our life to God and said, God, be my king. But as Christians, guys, we got to do this daily and even perhaps hourly or minute by minute. We got to give up the old heart, give up the old life, give up our passions, give up our old freedom for a new heart, for a new life, for new passions from God, for a new kind of freedom that looks different but is more freeing in the end. It's about an exchange. And Jesus teaches about that in the Bible. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, if you've got your Bible, or you can follow along on the screens here from the NIV. Ephesians chapter 4, 17. We're going to look at some very familiar passages today. So please, I encourage you, don't turn off your ears to these passages that you've heard many times. Look for what God's saying to us today. In verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God, or I would say the life that God offers, because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts, which in my translation would mean as they go about their daily business in control of their own lives. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality of every form so as to indulge in every kind of impurity trying to fill ourselves up, and they are full of greed and hunger. That, however, is not the way of life that you have learned. See, he's reminding us. What is it about? What is our life about now? It's not about us. When you heard about Jesus or Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And this is an incredibly important passage for a church like ours that comes from a tradition of holiness, of pursuing holiness, being like God, not claiming to be God, but becoming more and more like him purposefully. That's why Methodists are called what they are because our founders used a methodical approach, a disciplined approach, trying to be more holy, more set apart, and more like Jesus every day. And so they did things methodically. They did Bible studies. They did ongoing scripture memorization. They served in soup kitchens and even kept track of when and how. And that can be legalistic. That can come down to just, oh, we're doing what we have to do. But they weren't doing it because they had to do it. They were doing it out of a love for the new life that God gave them and the love that God had for them. 
And that makes all the difference. If I'm loving my wife and doing things for her because I, I believe there's this certain checklist that you have to follow as a married man, it doesn't ring quite as true as when I do the same things for my wife out of a genuine love for her and just a response to her love. I can go through the tasks or I can respond to my deep love for her and my excitement to be her man and it can flow out naturally for me. Same things, totally different feeling. Renewal requires a changing of selves. Old self off, new self on. That's what it's all about. Now we're going to look at Matthew at another passage. It's very familiar to us. Again, please listen to it freshly today. Then Jesus said to them, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. So Jesus proposes an exchange of lifestyles. We've got our lifestyle, we've got our yoke, the way that we go about things, the things that we believe that we're supposed to do or that will bring us happiness. And Jesus offers a whole nother lifestyle. And he says, try this on for size. You'll find that I'm humble and gentle in what I ask of you. He doesn't promise not to ask things of us. And if you've read the Bible, you know that he can be very demanding. But he says that there's a difference about the demands and things he asks of us compared to the things that we think we must do by driving ourselves and trying to please ourselves or trying to please others in the world. Let's go to the next slide. We've got a picture of some different yokes. So Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. There's two different kinds of yokes. There's a yoke for oxen or cattle to pull like a plow or a wagon. And then there's a yoke that a person would wear over the shoulders to carry two loads of water or bricks or whatever else you might carry in the buckets. So to be yoked to something is to take on what you're carrying. It's to kind of be enslaved to what you're carrying around. When you're wearing that, you've got the weight hanging there and you're cruising around hauling it. And we as people, especially before we come to salvation in God, have been yoked to ourselves for way too long. Our own desires, our own needs, our own perspective, our own feelings to where the only thing that truly matters is us. Jesus' yoke is completely different. He says, love God first and love neighbor second. That means we fall somewhere in the third or fourth or fifth slot, not number one slot. And the yoke that he's talking about is the law, the Old Testament law. All the, if you read back through the Old Testament, read all the different commands and regulations that taught the Jewish people, the Hebrews, our forefathers, I guess, to a sense, taught them that they were sinful and needed Jesus, taught them that they couldn't please God on their own. All these rules that they couldn't live up to. Even if we boil all the Old Testament rules down to the Ten Commandments, can any of you say that you are, you are without fault comparing yourself to just the Ten Commandments? Remember, that, that means things like putting God first or lying or cheating or stealing or coveting. Right? Even with Ten Commandments, we can't do it, but there's way more than that. There's way more than that. 
Jesus wants to offer us what he calls a better life. He says that his yoke is easier to bear and it's lighter. Notice he doesn't say that you don't have to wear the yoke. He just says that it'll be easier and lighter. He even says that we'll find rest wearing his yoke, which is hard to imagine if you're this guy right up here, right? Now, he's, he's posing. He's obviously posing with his wooden buckets there. It doesn't look like there's any weight in those. But in that drawing, definitely looks like there's a real burden in those buckets. Imagine feeling rest in the middle of carrying something still. That's what Jesus is talking about. And in order to really grab a hold of that, we have to be made new because it makes no sense to us. I look at my life and I think, you know what? My life would be better off if I never had to carry anything. Right? But Jesus comes along and he says, no, you are going to need to carry something. But it's going to be restful. It's going to be better. And I'm, I'm a kind and gentle kind of master. So that's what Lent is about. It's about picking up the new yoke. It's about being reminded of who we are. It's about putting self away and putting on our new self. So we're going to do a little pop quiz because we talked about Lent some last week. This is your chance to shine. Why do we observe Lent? Why bother? Why talk about it? Why give something up? Why do any of this? It's been going on for a long time, hundreds of years in the church. Why do we do it? Any answers? To remember. Okay, what else? Okay, I heard a bunch of good answers at one time. 40 days in the desert, is that what I was hearing over here? We connect with the fact that Jesus was tempted for 40 days in the desert before he started his ministry. When we celebrate and and observe 40 days of Lent, minus the Sundays, we're giving up things and we're facing temptation in our humanness. What else? Preparation for what? Preparation for Holy Week, right? With Good Friday and Easter. Why do we need to prepare? Easter is the biggest party of the year for Christians. It should be. Christmas is great, but Easter is the biggest party of the year. What do you do when you really want to put on a good party? You prepare. You don't just show up. You don't go, okay, party time's tomorrow at 3. I'll see you then. And then at 3 o'clock you're there and there's no party. You prepare for a party. What do you do to prepare for a wedding? Decorations, flowers, streamers, cake, DJ, music, wine, food. You got to get it all ready so you have a good party. So we're preparing for a great party. And we're preparing our heart. Because guys, it's so easy to forget why we're partying on Easter, isn't it? Husbands, is it easy to forget just how blessed you are to have the wife that you have? Is it easy to forget that some days and just take her for granted? (laughs) The guys aren't admitting it. I'm all alone. It is for me sometimes. How many days do we observe Lent? Oh, we already talked about this. Forty, right? Forty days, give or take the Sundays, because they're the feast days. What are the three main parts of observing Lent? Three main actions. If you can name even one of the three, you're doing awesome. Prayer is one. Good job. Self-denial or fasting is another. There's just one left. Service or giving. Yep. Why ashes in the shape of a cross on Ash Wednesday? 
That's really weird, right? Scrubbing ashes on your face in the shape of a cross. Why? Okay, so you're connecting and being reminded of Jesus' crucifixion. You're wearing the mark of the cross just like He actually bore the cross for you. Why ash? It's a sign of repentance. It's a sign of shame. It's a sign of mourning. It's a sign of loss. And to go even further, you'd put on ash and you'd tear your clothing. But we talked last week about how God doesn't want you to just wear ash and tear your clothing. He wants us to literally tear our hearts open before Him and let Him change them. Again, old heart, new heart. Okay? Is it just a Catholic tradition? I think a lot of times we think that about Lent. I certainly thought that about a good portion of my life. Oh, did you put the answer up there already, you cheater? Yeah, uh uh-huh. It's not just a Catholic tradition. Who else celebrate it? Lutherans, Methodists, Presbyterians, Eastern Orthodox, Catholic churches, and quite honestly, a lot of evangelical churches of all flavors. So don't think this is some magical, mystical thing that's just a bunch of weird stuff. This has been going on for hundreds of years in the church as a way to mark time and celebrate what God has done. So that's Lent. Do we have any more questions? Why 40 days? We talked about that. Let's go to the next one. Following that time of fasting and prayer and giving for 40 days, what starts at the beginning of Easter and ends at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came later? 50 days of party. Sounds good, right? Sounds tiring too. So I don't think you have to stay up all night and everything like that. But we go from a place of giving away and embracing our humanness and mourning and confessing and accepting again what Christ has done to the place where we celebrate, we should dance, we should laugh, we should embrace our freedom in Christ. Amen? Lent is acknowledging our humanness, it's tasting loss, and it's focusing, like it says there, more on our faith in God with our extra time and focus. So remember, we're not just giving something up. We give something up so that we have more space in our life and more time in our life for God to put something new in. So hopefully, if you are giving something up, I've talked with a bunch of people that have given up Facebook. Proud of you. I did too. It's tough. I had no idea how hard it was going to be. I checked it today, though, feast day. Next slide. Joel, we talked in this passage last week. This is the first part of the passage that is often read at Lent, where a prophet is crying out for God to his people, and he's saying, repent now while you have time. So let's read this again. That is why the Lord says, turn to me now while there is still time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting and weeping and mourning. Don't tear your clothing in grief. Tear your hearts instead. Return. That's about renewal. Return to the Lord your God, for He is merciful and compassionate. Does that sound like a God that is uh, gentle and kind? Slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He's eager to relent and to not punish. Who knows? Perhaps He'll give you a reprieve. Sending you a blessing instead of this curse. Perhaps you will be able to offer grain and wine to the Lord your God as before. This prophet's crying out to the people of God because they went astray. They kind of forgot. 
They went on their own way. They became sinful, self-focused humans again. And he's saying, let's return. Let's go back. Let's put ourselves at God's mercy and see how he responds. Maybe we won't get all the things that we deserve. But even beyond that, maybe we'll get some more things that we don't deserve. So we won't get the bad things maybe that we deserve and maybe we'll get some good things that we don't deserve. Perhaps you will be able to offer grain and wine to the Lord your God as before. That last sentence is a picture of a restored relationship with God where we have the right focus and we're offering things to God freely. Not out of obligation, but because we know that God says, my way is better. Make me your king. I am light and gentle and you'll find rest with my yoke. When we come face to face with ourselves, we're reminded quickly how human we are, right? And that we're weighed down by ourselves. We're heavily burdened with our own yoke. And this happens before we meet Jesus, but it also happens, again, a lot of times on a daily or hourly basis. We just go back and put on our own yoke again. And we're weighed down by our sins and our temptations, the mistakes we've made, the, the pain that we've caused other people. How about this? The opportunities that we've just let go. The opportunities that we squandered, that we just let pass us by. We're also weighed down by our brokenness. Are you broken? Without Christ, I'm pretty broken. We're all broken people. We're hurting, we're scarred, we're hungry, we're needy. We're lonely, we're afraid, we're insecure, we're selfish. And we carry the scars from others that have caused us pain. Just like we've caused other people pain and scars that they carry. We carry scars and we carry scars from the pain that we've caused ourselves. Have you, have you caused pain to yourself? And we're not just talking about those of you who are struggling with the temptations of self-harm. We're not just talking about cutting yourself or yanking out your hair or burning yourself or some of those things that some people struggle with as a coping strategy. We're talking about the scars that we've caused ourselves just with the choices we've made. That's our brokenness. It weighs us down. And our addictions. And we're not just talking, you know, we're not just talking about an addiction to crack or heroin or something here. All addictions. All the patterns that we've come to rely on too much to fill us or to distract us or to uh, self-medicate, maybe, I guess we could call it. Harmful patterns of destructive choices, those weigh us down heavily. And finally, our self-chosen pursuits. We're made to pursue things. We're made to go after things. We're made to accomplish and conquer and do But it's all meant to happen within God's plan. Instead, we choose our own pursuits. And so we go after the approval of others. Anybody else in that boat with me? I love the approval of others. Just you and me, Gabe. Uh, Maybe we uh, live for making achievements. Are, Are any of you addicted to achieving things and conquering something, beating something, rising to the level? Uh, hunger for power. Is anybody going to admit that in here? Yeah. 
How about control? Not just power, but we hunger for control. We want to be in control of our own day-to-day, all the circumstances, all life's curveballs. We want to have control. Or wealth. Anybody looking to make a few more bucks? A couple of us were ready to jump up when Rachel started handing out the bills. That count was going to be off. We're weighed down. So when we, when we admit that we're weighed down by all these different things in our lives, we come to that place like Lent reminds us, like Joel cries out to us, and we need to repent. And what does it mean to repent? It means to confess. It means to let go. It means to fess up. It means to face the music and just come before God and say, Hey God, I'm so broken. I'm so addicted. My self-pursuits take me away from you. God, I get so confused. I think that doing life my way is going to please myself and fill my life. And it doesn't. And I get that, but I still do it over and over and it drives me crazy. If you find yourself in that boat, read some of Paul's writings, especially in Romans. You'll find that he says things like, I do what I hate to do and I don't do what I should do. And I repeat that. We need to repent of our inability to better our own situations. We might think we have control or think we have life figured out, but we don't. And especially our failed attempts to fill our lives on our own. I want you to close your eyes for a minute. I want you to close your eyes and just think, God, what are some of the things that I've done in my life or some of the things that I pour my energy and my time into in order to try to please myself or fill me up? that aren't necessarily the things that you provide, God, but I am trying to fill the holes in my life on my own with love or approval or laughter or partying or hobbies or addictions or running away. God, convict us of the things that we do trying to better our own lives when truly we can't better our own lives, God. We need to exchange our lives for the better life that is found in you. And God, most of us have already done that at some point in our life. And a lot of us need to exchange it again now. Say, God, thank you again. Please give me that life again. Renew me. Make me new. All right, if you obeyed me, you can open your eyes again. I didn't check. In our faith, we find power from God. And in our weakness, we run to God. And that's good. And we run to things like church and small groups and Bible study and all this. And we spend time in the Bible and we do all the different things that we're supposed to do as Christians. But guess what? That can become a yoke too. So we have to be careful because running after God is great. And seeking Him in Scripture is great, and prayer is great, and church is great, and small groups are great, and Bible studies are great, and serving God is great, and fasting is great, and prayer is great, and all of it's beneficial. But so often we as Christians, and this goes all through time, guys, we put a new yoke on ourselves, and instead of approaching God through all that stuff the way we're meant to, as an outpouring of our love for His love for us, it becomes routine again. And something we're supposed to do. Or it's like a genie in a bottle and we just keep doing it because we hope that it gives us something. And that's not why we're supposed to do it. So think about that right now. Think about the yoke of faith. 
As we look back at that scripture right now from Matthew talking about the yokes, listen to what's burdensome here. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me be your teacher because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear or easier to bear. And the burden I give you is light. He's speaking this to a people that became really good at doing a lot of what the Old Testament law said to do. In fact, some of those people were so focused on wanting to do what God wanted that they added their own ideas. So take one command. Keep the Sabbath holy. Don't work on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a day for connection with God. This group of people took one command and added over 600 new rules to how to obey that one command. So Jesus, God's command said, keep the Sabbath holy. Over 600 rules and regulations were added to that one command. Does that sound like a heavy burden? Things like how many feet you could walk on a Sunday. Not a Sunday, but on a Sabbath day. Things like how much weight you could carry. How you would cook on a Sabbath day. That you wouldn't speak loudly or excitedly on a Sabbath day. Think through all the different regulations that we sometimes add when we suck the love out of faith and church and obedience and just turn it into routine. We work hard trying to earn grace. So we add on all these different ways to the command so we make sure we're really doing what God wanted. But are we doing it with the heart that He intended? Are we simply responding with love for His love? So we have a legalistic focus sometimes. And we fail, right? Every time we try to earn grace, we're going to fail. That's exactly what the law was here for. To show us that. Let's go to the next slide. We develop a consumer mentality about church and faith. Do you know what I mean by that? I'm going to tread gently here because I don't want to sound like a pastor up front saying, you guys stink at this because I stink at it too. Our faith turns out to be focused on us. What do I get out of God? What do I get or feel when I go to a church service? How does the church meet my needs? Now we're supposed to have some needs met here. We're supposed to experience and feel some things when we come together and worship God. But if my heart's all about what I get out of it, that's an unhealthy relationship. You know what I mean? If I come to my wife with all this list of demands and needs, and I'm not thinking about hers, and I'm not thinking about the bigger picture, That's an unhealthy relationship. We harness our faith sometimes with misguided expectations and we end up feeling unsatisfied. I don't leave this building every Sunday morning energized and excited. A lot of times I do, but not every time. I don't always have somebody who comes up to me on a Sunday or or any other day of the week when I'm here at church and run into somebody from church 
I'm not always asked how I'm really doing and, and I, I don't always get a bubbly response from somebody who commits to praying for me and being there for me. I do often, but not always. And that yoke gets heavy then and, and what that burden that God said he would have us carry that's lighter and easier and is restful isn't then. Because if I expect you guys to be perfect and I'm not, I'm going to be unsatisfied. Let's go to the next slide. How about this one? Turning your faith or letting your faith degenerate into something where you feel like you have to put on an act for other people. Or you go to church and you feel like you better put on that Sunday smile. Or when people say, how are you doing? You better have that quick answer. Oh, I'm good. When, even when you're not really good. Or even when you're not feeling happy. You ever feel like you have to put on a show here? You could admit it. I feel it sometimes. Got to look right. Got to act right. Got to make people think that I've got it together. I don't have it together. God has it together. Trying to seem at peace takes a whole lot of effort. Hiding and masking what sometimes is our reality drains us big time. So if you're not at peace, if you're struggling, if you're in need, please be real with somebody here today. That's a chance for us to respond to you and to be there for you and with you. And this is a really hard one for me because I've grown up as a perfectionist kind of guy, firstborn and all that. And uh, I don't like people to know that I have needs. I'd much rather address your needs than mine. Maybe that's why I'm a pastor. But the truth is, I have needs too. And I struggle too. And I know you do too. And hopefully we all have the opportunity to be there for each other. Let's go to the next slide. Are we going to the movie next? Is that what it is? Okay. I wondered why you didn't respond. Okay. So we've talked about how ourselves become a burden. And we've talked about how our faith can become a burden. And we've talked about how when we realize all of our brokenness ourselves, the parts of us that weigh us down, we need to repent and toss that stuff to God and take on his new yoke. Now, same thing goes for our faith and our the way we approach church and Bible study and prayer and the Bible. We need to confess motives there, put that yoke off and take on God's yoke again. And remember, what is church about? What is celebration about? What is the Bible for? What is prayer about? What does God's love look like? And that's what we're going to take a look at right now. Another reminder, a video reminder that will help renew us as people.
our sins and did that to him. He was bruised and wounded for everything that we've done wrong. He was wounded for our transgressions, pierced for our iniquities. He did all this just so we could be whole. And God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue confessed that Jesus is the master of all. This is the revelation that the Son came and gave his life, that he extended an invitation to know the God of all creation, that he offered us love when we knew no peace, that he offered us relationship when all we knew how to do was keep and break a bunch of rules. This is the resurrection, that in his death we have come to know life, that we can freely offer our life. So we remember that is the God that we fall in love with. That is the God whose love came first. And our love is just a response to it. That's what we celebrate every Sunday. That's what we feast about every Sunday. That's what we party about every Sunday. And as we look towards Easter and that ultimate celebration coming up, that is what we celebrate. He did it. He fills us. We don't have to fill ourselves. He speaks to us. He guides us. He tells us what perspective to have and the way to think and respond. He bought us in that crucifixion. He bought us by paying our debt off. And He could have made us slaves to Him because He bought us. But like she said in that poem, He gives us the freedom to choose Him as our Master. And we choose that not because we have to. We choose that because we want to. Because we acknowledge He knows better. That His way is better. That His life is better than the life we can create on our own. And the life that we try to live out every day. So every day we give it up again and we be renewed. We, we cast off the old. We take on the new. We confess. We repent. We mourn. We wear ashes. We cry out, we plead for God's mercy, and He always responds with love. Because He never gives up on us. He's that kind of a Father. That kind of a love that we can always trust in. We've been forgiven through what Jesus did. We've been cleansed through what Jesus did. And better than that, we're covered with the being of Jesus. God literally puts Jesus over us. So that when he looks at us, he doesn't just look at little old me. He looks at me through the love and holiness and righteousness of Jesus. And that way I'm seen as okay. I'm seen as righteous and I can be in God's presence without fear. Because it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't hang on who I am and what I've done. And everything I've done falls short. It hangs on what Jesus did and what Jesus does. And his love for us. We're going to go back to that passage in Joel. Okay, the first half of the passage in Joel that we read this morning is all about rending our hearts and just appealing to God. Well, here's what remains. Here's what is on the other side of that appeal. Don't be afraid, O land of Israel. Be glad now and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Remember, remember. Don't be afraid, you animals of the field, for the wilderness pastures will soon be green, full of life. 
The trees will again be filled with fruit. Fig trees and grapevines will be loaded down and heavy once more. Have you seen a grapevine when it's super heavy with grapes? It's begging to have the fruit picked off of it. That's what we're supposed to picture. That's the kind of life God brings. That doesn't mean He erases every challenge. That doesn't mean He will provide everything that you desire. But it does mean that He'll bring life and fruitfulness of a kind we're not used to. Because we're used to trying to build that on our own. But when He brings it, He does it well. When I do it, I just do it. Next slide. Rejoice! You people of Jerusalem. Does that sound like a party? Rejoice in the Lord your God. We rejoice in God. For the rain he sends demonstrates his faithfulness. Once more the autumn rains will come, as well as the rains of spring. The threshing floors will again be piled high with grain, and the olive presses will overflow with new wine and olive oil. Rejoice. Celebrate. Acknowledge. Be a part of the party. That's what we're called to. We're supposed to feast on the fruit that he provides. Restoration and renewal looks like a garden. Just like he was talking about in Joel. It looks like a garden that comes back to life. My garden right now looks pretty shabby. It's all overgrown from last year. I haven't done a thing to it yet. It's pretty rough. But once it's been cared for and replanted and cleaned out and renewed, it'll have that that rich dark soil visible. And the new plantings and seedlings popping up. It'll look like new life. And then eventually I'll be tasting those garden tomatoes. And every time I bite into one of those, it's a party. Remember the things that God's doing in your life and the things that He's doing around you. That's what Joel was saying. Remember, God has done great things. And God had done a lot of things for Israel at that point. So He's just reminding them, guys, remember? That's what we need to do to be renewed. We need to remember that God is always doing good things in us and around us. That he's saving us, protecting us, feeding us, providing for us. And that life really comes from the true life giver. I can't create life. I don't have the power to make my life better. I really don't. I've tried. God is the true life giver. He's the creator. He is our provider. And we need to rejoice in the Lord. We need to party and celebrate. And we talk about that a lot here at our church. Because guys, as Christians, we have a lot to be thankful for and a lot to party about and a lot to celebrate because we're not celebrating anything we've done. We're celebrating everything he's done. Next slide. We need to take delight in God. This is all about falling more in love with God. So it's Lent. We're looking towards Easter We want to be renewed. You want to be renewed? Fall more in love with God. Spend a little time thinking about how much He loves you. Read about it in the Bible. Look back at your life and the ways that He's shown His love to you. In the times where you were following well after Him and even in the times where you weren't. Think of His love for you and how He's shown it. So to fall in love with somebody more and more and more, it takes choice, right? I have to choose to do things to honor my wife. I have to choose to think about the ways that I appreciate her. I have to choose to acknowledge how good I have it. And it takes sacrifice. If I want to experience great love in my relationship with my wife or with any of my friends, I have to spend time with them. I have to give to them as much as I hope to receive from them. Truly, I should give more. It takes actions. 
the different things, the little things, the things I always forget to do. It's easy to buy flowers on Valentine's Day. But it takes actions like leaving a note for my wife saying, hey, I appreciate you. Or actions like the other day where I could tell she was at her wit's end with our boys because they'd just been constantly needing something. And when I took them outside and we just read outside around the fire pit for a while to give mom a moment of sanity, those kind of actions too. But it gives so many blessings. So if we're supposed to take actions and to do things in order to uh, fall more in love with God, if we are supposed to sacrifice and make room for more uh, love in our relationship with God, that's what things like Lent are about. That's what confessing and giving up certain things at times is about. That's what Rachel was talking up here with the kids with the 24 bucks, representing our 24 hours if I have every little hour of my life crammed full of myself and, and all the responsibilities on all sorts of good things, oftentimes I've got like 10 cents left for God, right? It's not it. We, we, we need to invite our love, our God, loving to us. We need to invite Him into all of those dollars. At work, at play, even while we sleep. So we sacrifice things like some of you have told me that you're getting up a little earlier in the morning so you can spend time with him in the word or in prayer before you go off to do your things. I think that's awesome. One of the smaller things that I've given up uh, for Lent is I'm not listening to sports talk radio while I'm driving, which doesn't sound like much, but I love it. I love Jay Moore sports. I love listening to that guy. I love listening to what's going on with the NFL. It's a little easier this time of year because they're talking basketball and stuff, things I'm not as excited about. But I found myself, as I've been driving this week, constantly, automatically going to where I'm going to flick the radio on, right? Or I'll stop at a stoplight, having not been listening to the radio, and I'll go to turn it on. And I'll think, well, I can listen. Yeah. I'll think, I can listen now because I'm not driving And then I laugh and I think, wow, God, I'm so messed up that I'm trying to find a loophole to sit for two seconds at a stoplight listening. How goofy is that? Today I listened on my way here. He's not on on Sundays, but I listened to a show on my way here. We give up things so that we have more room for responding to God. And 40, the 40 days around Lent and all that, it's, it's a practice that we take on and it's a great time of year. And guys, I, I gotta be honest with you friends, I'm falling in love with this time of year. And this is my first time ever, first time, this is my first time ever really observing Lent in my life. I've known of it and I've given up things a couple of times just because. This is my first time that I've really focused on giving things up and on taking things on to really look towards God more. And I'm falling in love with that tradition because of what it's doing for me. And in those moments, even in those short few moments in my car, even at a stoplight, even after I've told myself, no, don't turn it on, even then I feel my connection with God growing a little bit. And I, I kind of I picture God chuckling with me at that stoplight. And I don't think I'm going too far to say that I even think I feel a little bit more of his approval and love in that moment and his closeness. He loves me so much. He loves you so much. 
Make some room to taste it. Bible tells us, taste and see that the Lord is good. We've got one more passage here. If you could skip to the last slide for us, April. This is from Psalms. Just listen to this as we party together today. May the glory of the Lord continue forever. The Lord takes pleasure in all he's made. That includes you. He takes pleasure in you. The earth trembles at his glance. The mountains smoke at his touch. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will praise my God to my last breath. May all my thoughts be pleasing to him. For I rejoice in the Lord. And rejoicing in something or in someone is a choice. It's a response. May all of our thoughts, God, be pleasing to you. For today we rejoice in you. We're going to have our time of Selah now. So I'd ask that those who have volunteered to help out with that today would come on up forward. And what is this again? What is communion? What is, what is Selah? It's, uh, it's renewing and reminding ourselves what we're here for. It's bread, reminding us that God's broke, body was broken for us. Somebody broke it for me. That makes this easy. Broken, torn bread, just like his body was broken for us. You probably just want one, right? Yeah. There you go, buddy. And then the juice, or wine in some churches, represents his blood that dripped out for us, real blood that covers us and cleanses us. He did this for us because he loves us. Let's respond to him with love. Father God, we want to take the next few moments to just respond to you. To just take in the joy and freedom we have in you, God. Your yoke is a different kind of freedom. It's a giving up of, of lordship of our own lives again and again and again. Of giving up being in control to letting you be in control. And there's freedom in that. There's freedom in not having to be at the wheel. There's freedom in giving you the wheel. There's freedom in just responding to your love. And just day by day, God, help us to respond and, and be renewed in your presence. Amen.